And I think today it's tragic. I'm going to step on some toes now. But I don't think that you have to wear a robe or button your collar in the back to prove that you're a minister of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think that you can prove it by your life and whether you can teach the Word of God, my friend. I think that's the proof. Now, Paul the Apostle, if you look at him, he just looked like any other man. In fact, he probably was beneath a great many because he worked with his hands. And he could say, well, I beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I'm like my Lord when he was here on earth. And when I'm present with you, I'm base among you. Now, they're saying in Corinth, well, when Paul is here, he just made tents. He wasn't any somebody. Now, look the way he's writing to us. He was writing to us boldly and charging us. My, who does he think he is after all? And that's the way some people feel about a man that teaches the Word of God. They want to bring him down. Today, the devil has a method that is very subtle. Right now, the devil does not attack the Word of God as such. Right now, there's an interest in the Word of God. And you know what the devil does today. He attacks the man of God who's preaching the Word of God. That's the way he gets in. He tries to discredit the man. And that's what he did with Paul. He tried to discredit Paul, you see. And they try to do that today. Now, I know of a church where... The man, he taught the Word of God. And I want to tell you, there was some that didn't like it at all. And when he left, they attempted to crucify the man. They'd tell you, I'm sure today, they, oh, they believe the Word of God. All of them carry a big Bible around under their arm. They really don't believe it. In fact, they don't know what's in it. They never did apparently study it, but they sure are after the man that does it. Now, any man that will not cotton to this little group today and play up to them. He's in for trouble if he gives out the Word of God. And that's the devil's method. Now, Paul says to them, "...but I beseech you that I may not be bold when I'm present with that confidence wherewith I think to be bold against some which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh." He says, now, because I made tents, got my hands dirty, and I sweated. I could say perspired, but I think Paul sweated when he made those tents. And he could say, well, when I did that, you thought at that time that we were walking according to the flesh, but we were not. He says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Now, what does he mean by that, where he says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Well, he means this, and actually the word flesh here, sark, is the Greek word, can be used in three different ways. It can speak of the body, the physical body that we have, the meat that's on the bones. Or it can speak of weakness, that which is psychological. Or it can speak of that corrupt nature which you and I have, a fallen nature, and that's the spiritual side. So it can be used in a physical sense, a psychological sense, and a spiritual sense. Now, Paul used the word in all three senses, but more frequently in the sense of the old Adamic fallen nature. Paul could say in Romans 8, 8, I know that in my flesh, that is, within my body, dwelleth no good thing. That's that old Adamic nature. 
Now, I think he uses it in the last two senses here. That is, the weakness, the psychological. Paul says he walked in the flesh. Weakness. I do not think that Paul came to Corinth in the energy of the flesh. The warfare was a spiritual warfare. He'd said, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And he didn't come as an ordinary man, depending upon the principles of the natural, acting upon the flesh. Paul wasn't putting on in Corinth a Madison Avenue campaign. He didn't use the methods of advertising and organization and human effort and energy. And I don't mean to minimize these, but Paul's just saying he didn't use them. And he wasn't one of the personality boys that uses cleverness and quotes a great many Christian cliches and soars to beautiful language. He didn't come there as anti-Nero or anti-Caesar. And he didn't give a message on that Gallio is a communist. He didn't come to Corinth to clean up Corinth. He didn't come at the invitation of the fundamentalists to put on a campaign of fundamentalism. Paul says, I determined not to know anything among you but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul had a grand perspective of an entire battlefield. There was a heaven to gain. There was a hell to shun. And this is the way this man is moving now. Listen to him. Now he talks about the weapons. You see here, we need to recognize the warfare is spiritual. And the weapons are secret, secret weapons. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty, through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Now, they're so secret, honestly, that they're not even listed here. This verse, you know, is sort of a parenthesis. Now, are we able to identify these spiritual weapons that we need today? Well, spiritual warfare means that we have a spiritual enemy, and a spiritual enemy requires spiritual weapons. Our enemy is not of the flesh. We're told that we have some weapons and they're mighty. That is, they're effective. Now, there are certain weapons that are negative and certain that are positive. Now, we're told here they're destructive, casting down imaginations. That is, the reasonings and the philosophy and the sophistry of the Greeks. They were great on philosophy. And every high thing. Well, I thought of this when I was at the ruins of Corinth. Up on top, there are the ruins of a crusader temple up on the Acropolis there. And in Paul's day, there was the temple of Aphrodite. The worship there was sex. And Paul says that his weapons could cast down not only imaginations, but every high thing. And that's the highest Acropolis of any Greek city that's there at Corinth. And this is the man that said, I determined not to know anything among you but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, are you beginning to see his spiritual weapons? Let me list those that are in evidence here, the Word of God. And I mean more than just the inspiration of Scripture. Not just a creed or plenary verbal inspiration. I mean more than that. I listened to a preacher. He said he believed in verbal inspiration. He quoted poetry and some cute cliches and had some pert epigrams. And 
He had every form of philosophical argument, but there was no exposition. May I say to you, when I say today the Word of God, I mean to have confidence in the Word of God that it's a weapon. It's the sword of the Spirit. And Paul could come to Corinth, a citadel of Greek philosophy and religion, and he had some secret weapons. And these secret weapons, by the way, were pretty important, Paul says. They were those that he just used. That is, he used nothing but the Word of God. You remember he said to the Ephesians, take the Word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit, or take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And Paul drew his trusty sword, and he depended on the naked blade of it. And he said, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Everyone that believe it. And he said that to the Corinthians. We can have confidence in the Word of God today. It's very important. I'm a conservative. I believe in inspiration of the Word of God. I believe that you can't demythologize the Old Testament, the book of Genesis, and especially creation. I believe in hell. I believe in the Bible from the beginning to the end. And it's the sword of the Spirit, my friend. That's one of our weapons. And then the presence of the Holy Spirit. Paul recognized his human weakness and that we today are sealed by the Holy Spirit. And then there's another weapon, prayer. Now, there's very little about prayer in either Corinthian epistle. That's true. But Paul believed in prayer. And he used prayer as one of the weapons for offense in the sixth chapter of Ephesians. Not only take the Word of God, but praying in the Holy Spirit. Now he says something here, and will you notice? Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now, the warriors are successful. And when I say that, I do not mean victorious. He gets the victory, and you and I, we get saved for one thing, and then we're successful, but the glory all goes to him. You want to listen to Paul again in this? Over in Second Corinthians 2.14, he says, Now thanks be to God who always causeth us to triumph. How? In Christ maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge, by us in every place. Now, we won't win everybody, <laughs> but my friend, we can give the Word of God out today. Thank God for the open door of radio. Thank God for the open door of witnessing. Thank God for the missionaries. My Christian friend, aren't you rejoicing that the Word of God is getting out today? We're not victorious, but we sure can be successful, and that's what he means. Now, let me move rather hurriedly through this section. He says, "...and having inner readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled, do ye look on things after the outward appearance? If any man trusts to himself that he is Christ, let him of himself think this again, that as he is Christ, even so are we Christ." He said, "...now we belong to Christ as much as anyone." And he's talking now to the opposition. He says, "...for though I should boast somewhat more of our authority which the Lord hath given us for edification and not for your destruction. I should not be ashamed. Now, Paul says, I have the authority of an apostle. 
Now, it's not to try to destroy you, but actually it is for your edification. That is building you up. Paul says, I'm an apostle in order that I might build you up. How important it is for us to see this even today. And now he says, verse 8, For though I should boast somewhat more of our authority, which the Lord hath given us for edification and not for your destruction, I should not be ashamed that I may not seem as if I would terrify you by letters. Paul says, I don't mean to be bold and terrify you in my letters and then to be meek when I'm among you. Notice verse 10, For his letters say they are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. And I believe that Paul was not what you would call an attractive man. That's the thing we need to recognize, that when anyone heard Paul, it was like when men saw Samson, when the Spirit of God came upon him. They knew he didn't do what he did by physical strength. And people knew that when Paul preached, it wasn't by his eloquence, or it wasn't by his magnetism, and it wasn't by his ability, although I'm confident he had tremendous ability. But when you heard Paul the apostle, he was such a weak-looking vessel, they said, it's by the Spirit of God. And that's the only way you can explain it. Now he goes on here. I'll have to drop back to verse 12. For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measure themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. And here he injects just a little note of humor. A great many folk compare themselves by themselves. And I think that is the reason today that many churches feel that they've arrived. And a great many Christians feel that they are really fine, outstanding spiritual Christians because they compare themselves by other Christians. Well, my friend, that's not the yardstick that we're to use today. And that is the tragedy of the hour. We can be in a cold church and get cold ourselves and not be conscious of it and be around cold Christians. We need to be around Christians that challenge us. There are too many today satisfied with a little click in some group or church, and they're just about as honorary as the others and makes them feel all right because they're all in the same boat. And now will you notice verse 13, but we'll not boast of things without our measure, but according to the measure of the rule which God hath distributed to us, a measure to reach even unto you. Now, Paul has a point here that we don't want to miss. They were saying over there in Corinth, they were saying, well, Brother Paul won't come to see us. He won't come and spend time with us. And how many Christians today criticize their preacher because he doesn't spend more time with them, visiting them? My friend, every moment he spends with you, petting you and pampering you, he's wasting the Lord's time. He should be spending it for something else. Now, they were saying about Paul, oh, he won't come over to see us. And my, how critical they were. Now, Paul says, for we stretch not ourselves beyond our measure, as though we reach not unto you. For we are come as far as you also in preaching the gospel of Christ. Paul says, you must remember, I came to you first. I was the first one to bring the gospel to you. 
and I was a long ways from home. Now listen to him. Not boasting of things without our measure, that is, other men's laborers, but having hope when your faith is increased that we shall be enlarged by you according to our rule abundantly. Now Paul says, my method is not to come and be pastor of a church. I'm a missionary. When I begin a work, I go on. I'm moving out to the frontier. I never build on another man's foundation. And he says here, to preach the gospel in regions beyond you, and not to boast in another man's line of things made ready to our hand. But he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. For not he that commendeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. Now, Paul says, I'm doing what God has called me to do. And it might be well for you, Christian layman, before you criticize your preacher to find out what his calling is. Now, you may have a man that's gifted in calling. Or you may have a man that is gifted in the pulpit. Well, you better let him have time to prepare his message. And if he's spending all of his time running around with you, he's not spending time in the study, which he should. And if you have a man that may not be a brilliant preacher, but he may be a tremendous organizer. That may be his gift. You find out what his gift is. See if he's exercising his gift. Don't sit in judgment on him.